0: Welcome to another episode of Acts of the Blood God, US Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. with me as always my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
1: Hello everybody. How are you doing? I am good. It's
0: my birthday. Hooray. Happy birthday. Thank you. Congratulations. You're alive for another year.
1: <laughs> I'm still breathing somehow.
0: Another year of wonderful RPGs and all of that good stuff. Another another year of blood for the Blood God. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So this week we're not going to be doing a first segment that much. Uh, we are going to be doing the top twenty-five RPG countdown and continuing onwards. So we're gonna look forward to that in the second segment. In the meantime, Nadia, you did, you did finish uh, review your review of Octopath Traveler. It is scored. It is on the website. You gave it a four out of five. Yes, I did. Uh, it is got. It is finally done. It, it
1: has a stamp on it. It is four to five. That is four snow leopards out of five
0: four snow four snow leopards
1: out of five <laughs> yes
0: so that I must mean that score. it's basically a 10 out of five because snow leopards are amazing
1: oh you got a point there yeah i guess uh, <laughs> i was gonna say one snow leopard is worth two snow leopards you know that makes no sense this is why i failed math no I, I say okay one snow
0: leopard is worth uh oh i don't know five tigers did your opinion on it change at all since we last recorded our episode not very much
1: um I would say the, the the things I penalized the game for was uh, I think it did a really good job balancing that retro and modern uh, mechanics, uh, except in a couple of instances. I do feel that boss battles tended to go on for a bit longer than they needed to, number one. Uh, number two, there's uh, the random encounters, which I don't think is terrible, and I'm glad you can kind of make them less frequent, but I still feel like you should have had the option to turn them off, but it's not a huge deal for me. Uh, number three, and this one just baffles me, your inactive party members, uh, they don't gain experience for some reason. And I can't, it's been a very long time since I played an RPG that did that to me. Oh, really? Yeah, like if you're your inactive party members, it kind of shows them hanging out at the tavern, which is, which is kind of cute and funny. I like that. But they don't gain anything at all in the way of experience. That includes job experience points, which become very valuable later on in the game when you really need those those uh, support skills, for example, that uh, that restore your health every turn or restore your SP every turn, they can mean the difference between life and death. And if you don't have them, and you're not earning that experience, you're not earning that jo- those job points, that does mean some grinding. And I just feel like that's a waste
0: of time. You ended up putting a lot of uh, you ended up putting what sixty hours into this game. Yes, man. Yes, it's pretty meaty RPG. It is definitely
1: a meaty RPG, and there is. Um, like I haven't done the the post game dungeon yet, uh, which is uh, I'm told has the that's where the the party does come together. But what I argued in my review is that basically, if you are looking for an RPG that does bring them all together, does have this overarching story, however you look at it, Octopath Traveler is not going to scratch that itch because you are you are spending 60 hours at least with these individual stories. So it's not as if you play – it's not like Dragon Quest IV, for example, where you play those individual stories for a quarter of the game, half the game, then it all comes together at the end. It's not It's not like that. You are spending most of your time, like the, the overwhelming majority of your time, with the eight characters
0: individually. All right. Well, you should go check out Nadia's review over on the website. And she has some final thoughts there. In addition, over on the site, uh, Mike wrote a fairly long breakdown of the World of Warcraft pre-patch, which apparently, quote, not the experience we wanted to deliver. It had some (laughs) serious connectivity problems for the World of Warcraft fans. Uh, Monster Hunter Generations Ultimate's getting Breath of the Wild weapons and armor. They keep doing these crazy crossovers. It's like, it's completely insane to go in there now because everybody's wearing armor and stuff from different games.
1: (laughs) Yeah, speaking of that, um, here in Japan, they have a Snoopy crossover. Ooh. Which is amazing.
0: I don't I, I've, understand. I, I've seen. <laughs> they really love some... Snoopy there, though.
1: Do they really? I guess you know what. We drove by the, when I went to Japan. We drove by the Snoopy museum, and I'm like, oh damn! I
0: kind of want to go in there and see what they got. There you go. Stardew yeah. Valley multiplayer update finally has a PC release date, which is very exciting. It is. Although when I tried to play multiplayer,
1: I couldn't find anyone to play with me. Oh, what? Yeah. Um, there's still like. A, a lot of great updates that have been going on in stardew valley so it's still a fantastic single player game and uh there's a lot of really interesting cool secrets you can find but uh yeah i guess if you want to arrange a play date with your friend and i'll go fishing that's possible now
0: todd howard prefers not to remaster morrowind and fallout 1 which i guess i understand morrowind yeah. is kind of its own special beast and fallout he didn't make
1: <laughs> no he did not I, I guess a lot of people might have forgotten that by now but no he did not
0: and before we move on, uh, a well, a uh, rest in peace to Hiroshi Kajiyama and also Kaori Fuji- Fujita, who is known for her illustrations on Suikoden 5. Um, Kajiyama was known for his illustrations in Shining Force and Golden Sun. They both passed away. So, uh, that's uh, really too bad. Yes, uh, so condolences to their families and everything. Uh, their art was really nice. Uh, like it the, was. The box art in Five, say what you want about that game. It was really nice. It was really nice. And uh, Shining Force
1: uh, had a very distinct sort of anime style at a time when just you didn't really see much of that stuff going on back in, in games. Indeed. Like they try to localize that out a lot
0: of the time. All right, we're going to move on to our top 25 discussion. And we'll be back for mailbags, so don't go away okay it's time for the latest entry in our top 25 rpg countdown this one is number 21 and let's hear a clip from it right now
2: world of warcraft
0: i need to play our demo was set up right over by the got to sign in character name all right i'm in okay strictly speaking that wasn't a clip from world of warcraft itself it was actually from the south park episode make love not warcraft an all-time classic of course did you guys ever see that episode of course i I have not actually i've never i think that's the best south park episode i I don't think it tops any any of them top it
3: what's crazy is i mean only half of it is a south park episode because the other half is sort of it's actually just it's machinima from world of warcraft
0: The voice you're hearing, by the way, is Matthew Allen, who is one of the co-hosts on Video Game Apocalypse, which is on the Laser Time Network, which I've been on from time to time. Show check it out. Also joining me is World of Warcraft correspondent and super fan on US Gamer, Mike Williams. Hi, Mike.
2: Hi. Oh, I get a new title, World of Warcraft correspondent. It feels like I'm in a war zone. This is cool. Does that mean you get guaranteed you get guaranteed BlizzCon tickets now, right? I, I, we, they offer them, we we just don't go. Well, maybe this year. We went to BlizzCon last year, we sent Matt. Oh yeah, we sent Matt, yes we did, we did go.
0: Yes we did, and we'll probably go this year. But yes, World of Warcraft, which is, uh, guys, I'm going to admit, I really struggled with this one on whether to put it on the list, because I think World of Warcraft is certainly a very important game, perhaps one of the most important games of all time. And as much as people, as polarizing as it can be, I don't think its quality is actually in question for the most part, but it's changed so much. And MMORP- RPGs are so much their own animal. But ultimately, I finally kind of buckled and said, no, I, I think I'm going to put it on here because it does, it uses so much from RPGs. It has similar roots. And one of my key criteria for putting together this list is longevity, and I don't think anybody can question the longevity of World of Warcraft.
3: Oh, oh no. Nope. What are we at? At almost 15 years now or something. I mean, it's what, going on? It's 04, I believe, is when it launched. Yes, 2004. Years. Yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, the fact that it remains just, it's big. It's still big after X number of years. People are five years ago, people were going, oh, World of Warcraft's definitely on decline. And yeah, it was on the decline. It dropped from like 10 million to like 5 million.
2: That's still 5 million that's, people yeah. who are playing on the regular. Yeah, no, that's still a huge, huge number. And uh, e- e- even though sort of the, the focus of sort of the game has changed, it, as you were saying, it, it's kind of interesting how it still stayed relevant. Because EverQuest is still, in fact, making expansions out there, but no one really thinks of EverQuest as the er-MMO anymore. And it's also buggy as hell, and <laughs>
0: practically unplayable because Daybreak Games has no customer support and was apparently being run by a Russian who was sanctioned by the US government or something.
2: Well, I, Allegedly. Well, I can't really talk about bugs and relation to WoW because we did just have the 8.0 pre patch that had a whole bunch of issues because Blizzard, uh, to their credit, are trying to change things for the future health of the game, but bringing those changes to live. Breaks uh, as uh, game director Ian in Sorry if I mispronounced that gentleman's name. Uh, said they're they're basically balancing against eight years worth of content that I pointed out was made at different times. So anytime they make a systems change, like everything goes really bad, and that's what happened with this pre patch. So, but they're fixing it. They're fixing it real quick.
3: Yeah. You know, we were talking about the history and the longevity of the game. Uh, I should—I I actually just realized I have to do a bit of disclosure. I have worked for two companies associated with Blizzard, never for Blizzard itself, though. So uh, I used to work for Vivendi Games back in the day, who was the parent company of Blizzard, and then for Activision after the merger. And I will say, like, I—I I got some bonus checks that probably had a great deal to do with the success of World of Warcraft, even though I personally never touched the game, never worked on it. So we have a mole in our midst, folks. <laughs> I mean, I would be effusive with praise about this anyway because, yeah, I, 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 for me, the big thing about this game is I it was my first MMORPG, and I can remember just feeling it was so daunting to buy the box and to start reading the manual and see just... I was overwhelmed with systems, but overwhelmed in that good way, like, I can't wait to dive in and actually start this. Like, I think I bought it on a lunch break, and I was like, I can't wait to get home and actually start playing this thing, but they're... That's part of, I think, the longevity of the game is just the sheer number of systems and sheer number of things to do. And sort of related to that is it's, it's the fact that the game has a little bit for everybody. It's, you're more of like the trader type who just likes to look at the economies of games. Like,
2: yeah, no, there's definitely a, a something for everyone. They added, I believe, in Cataclysm, the pet system, which is essentially like a mini Pokemon game. And I was one of those. I've, way back when I was hard, hard, hard into WoW, one of those traders that uh, was spoken of, uh, that I would spend every day logging on to the auction house and putting up my my wares and outbidding other people and, you know, trying to make money as much as possible before I had to had to stop.
0: Well, let's lend a little context to this discussion. So we were talking about EverQuest earlier, and it's true. EverQuest was considered kind of the er example of MMORPGs. I, I mean, I, before that, it was Ultima Online, which was a crushing, uh, c- the purest of the pure when it came to MMORPGs. And then EverQuest came out, and it was just a bit more accessible, but still very crushing. And there were two people who were very important who enjoyed playing EverQuest. One of them was Rob Pardo, and the other one was Jeff Kaplan. And they took the ideas of EverQuest and joined with Tom Chilton and a number of others and ultimately made World of Warcraft. Um, People will probably know that at this time, Blizzard was primarily a strategy game developer. They had made their fortune with the Warcraft strategy games. They had made StarCraft. And this was their first foray outside of that since the failed attempt to make the World of Warcraft Adventures Lord of the Clans game, which is an adventure game, which, by the way, I've seen is not very good.
3: No, no. Yeah, I mean, well, they they only did sort of half that game anyway. I think they outsourced most of the art. And yeah, Lord of the Clans actually... Uh, later just got adapted a lot of the plot of warcraft 3 is based on that adventure game and then um, there was a novel that was written that was basically the lord of the clans novel and i've read that and it's quite good and uh, if you're a fan of the thrall character please do check that out yeah
0: warcraft 3 is actually probably my favorite blizzard game and one of my favorite games of all time and you could already see the shift toward mmorpg at that time because initially warcraft 3 was going to be kind of an rpg like they really downplayed the rts elements in favor of rpg elements and then when the fans revolted they went more toward a strategy thing but you still had things like you would create heroes and heroes would lead small much smaller armies of characters there was an emphasis on grinding during a match it it had loot And it established the framework for almost all of the lore of World of Warcraft. In Warcraft 2, you had the orcs and the humans, and they were fighting. And there was a dark portal, and eventually you destroyed Draenor. Whereas in Warcraft 3, you had stalwarts like Illidan and... um, the 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 Lich King. Arth- and Arthas
3: before he was a Lich King, right? Artus,
0: you saw the origin story of Arthas yeah. and you saw the, the undead and the destruction of Azeroth and the coming of the Burning Legion and the Blood Elves and all of this stuff would become huge parts in the introduction of the Night Elves as well. Did you guys play Warcraft three?
3: I I did I don't remember beating it, but I, I got pretty far into the campaign Um, And you're right, the hero characters were really this, I mean, that was straight RPG, but it's no surprise. I mean, we we think of, you know, at the time Blizzard was RTS, they were also making Diablo games. And so a lot of those things you were doing with those characters kind of tied naturally into what they were already working on with Diablo at the time.
0: Yes, the MMORPG genre really does stem very naturally from Diablo, doesn't it? Because Diablo ultimately was a cooperative role-playing game in which you were going through dungeons and
2: looting things, right? And getting loot. Loot was the object. Yes, it's very much like that. So I I tend to find that if you enjoy games like Diablo, that you will probably enjoy MMOs, although some people don't like the... uh, social aspect of it like i don't like feeling like there are other people here with me but I, I tend to be fine with it it's fun i enjoy that part but yes there's definitely a a a hard line uh connecting diablo to sort of mmorpgs yeah
3: i've i've always played wow more on the solo vein like i do enjoy reading quest text and just going at my own pace but there was a time when i was heavily into it this must have been wrath of the lich king days where i did join like a pretty active guild and that was one of the things is i'd never done that before but i had like i was making friends in my guild and i would log on and they'd be on at the same times and you kind of recognize each other and 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 just chat about life outside the game Uh, and i think that's a, a big part of this game's success um the the just the social aspects and and the guilds and and kind of the culture that has uh I don't know, manifested outside of the game. We mentioned BlizzCon. I mean, BlizzCon is, is a literal manifestation of fan culture around Blizzard products, in particular World of Warcraft. Yeah. And if Blizzard is good at
0: one thing, it's iterating upon established concepts. Yes. So we already mentioned yes. request. Sony Online Entertainment was the dominant force in MMORPGs at the time. The year before World of Warcraft, you got Star Wars Galaxies, an extremely dense and slightly insane MMORPG in which there were no Jedis. Becoming a Jedi was this incredible, insane, ridiculous quest. It put a lot of emphasis on building towns. But mostly what it boiled down to was you're a bounty hunter jumping around shooting at rats. Yeah, and and the
3: Jedi was added much later too, it remember.
0: was yeah it was, and it the was the fans much later hated it yeah the fans who stuck with star wars galaxies for no discernible reason really hate it
2: yeah so so matt th- this was your first mmo this was actually not my first mmorpg i actually started with everquest back in high school and then i moved from everquest to star wars galaxies which i remember and i understand why people enjoyed that kind of gameplay it just wasn't for me but WoW was the first one to sort of polish up some of the, like, it is very much a direct copy of EverQuest mechanics, polished up with some of the rough edges taken off. Uh And I mean, that's what Blizzard does so well all the time. So it's not, like, particularly surprising, but it's amazing if you go back to that time, like, how much of it is just like, oh, this is EverQuest, but... Better.
3: yeah there was almost a little bit of a meta where you know uh, world of warcraft was taking and refining concepts from other games and then eventually that became like the big juggernaut so then everyone else had to take notes and start copying world of warcraft and then they would innovate and then wow would roll that into their game and so it was it was like this this arms race if you will of features and, and aspects of mmos that wow though it's just so big it was it's really hard for anyone to topple that everyone was just scrambling to get a piece of that
0: World of Warcraft, consequently, became a sensation. It came out the same day, actually, as EverQuest 2 in November 2004, if you can believe that. And I I remember when it came out, I was in college, and I remember that there was anticipation around it, but it was also kind of a little bit strange. I don't think anybody was really entirely sure what to expect from it. MMORPGs were definitely entrenched, that was for sure. And then World of Warcraft came out, and everybody started playing it. Everybody started playing it. I did not play it because I was poor and I could not afford a subscription fee. (laughs) But World of Warcraft became, I I think it's fair to say, a sensation, the biggest game of that decade. It had 12 million players at its peak. It had many pop culture references. It utterly and completely transformed Blizzard uh, from, it just became a different company. It made everybody who ran that company extremely extremely rich and for one way or, and everybody tried to copy its success and failed because you can't make another wow EA learned that much when they tried to do Star Wars the Old Republic they did everything
3: right but they couldn't capture that old wow feeling yeah. wow nailed it i think i think if you're going to succeed in the mmorpg space and and i've worked on a few mmorpgs you do have to find your thing and you 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 can't go after the big dog, right? You can't just say, oh, we're going to take down World of Warcraft. You just have to find the thing that your game is going to differentiate itself on, you know? So games like, games like Terra are going to focus on uh, the combat, you know, and they're going to say, hey, this is going to be almost like this real time combat. And, and so I think that's the way at this point, if you're going to launch an MMORPG or in that vein, like, cause what does MMORPG even mean at this point? There's, there's so many different types and varieties. But if you're going to do something like that, like the big open world, uh, you know, with all these systems, At this point, you you probably do need to have some sort of differentiator that's going to help you out.
2: Yeah, and these days, MMORPGs, I mean, a lot of people, when Destiny first hit, I was saying, oh, hey, this is an MMORPG for people that don't play MMORPGs. I was like, I'm I'm glad to see Destiny because I, I want people to sort of take that gateway drug possibly back which uh, didn't particularly happen. But, you know, there's things like Destiny, there's the Division, uh, which are uh, Destiny has moved on to Destiny 2, and we have the Division 2 coming up. But those are essentially MMORPGs, just no subscription fee or anything.
0: Yeah, welcome to 2004, uh, <laughs> Bungie. And, oh, look, you're making the same mistakes as WoW. Fascinating.
3: Well, wasn't it at one point the, the apocryphal story was they had developers from Blizzard... Come see the Bungie folks because of the Diablo 3 launch and the uh, kind of how they had to hit the reset button with that whole auction house and everything like that. So, yeah, literally they were taking notes from each other with those studios because they're both kind of owned under that Activision Blizzard umbrella. So you already mentioned, Matt, kind of when you got into it. Did you start with Vanilla? I indeed did start with Vanilla. Um, I think you said you were in college. I was I was working I would say my first full time ca- career job I was working in a movie studio at Fox at the time, uh and then that sort of became my second job, uh and I immediately lost my social life um yeah because I was just it started eating up all of my time but yeah I was playing Vanilla WoW, what about you
2: Mike? Uh, I didn't for a long time but then I probably I'd say two or three years ago I wrote a big WoW retrospective and I found my original box. And yes, I apparently purchased the game on, on launch day and started playing that night. My, my account is a vanilla account. That was in college for me, like the end of college, but I have been playing since, uh, vanilla, but my hard, hard getting into the game was probably the next expansion, Burning Crusade through to Wrath of the Lich King. That's when I, I did the thing Matt was talking about. I joined a guild. I was a progression raider. I was a tank. Like, that's when I was doing that.
3: I do remember the vanilla days, like I the Barons, and you know all about Barons chat. And you you might even know a little bit about open world PvP in places like the Barons, you know, between Ratchet and Crossroads, even though I think the bigger one was, was it?
2: South I'm Shore. Terran Melon South, South Shore, Shore. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I ended up, uh, and I just wrote about this uh, recently, I joined a PvP server because my friends were on a PvP server. I don't like PvP. I really don't like PvP, but mm-hmm. I was stuck on a PvP server. So I had to live this life, uh-huh. uh, of trying to get my quest done and then seeing like, especially if you had a quest in Terran Mill, the, the alliance would come swarming in and that, that entire quest hub would be dead for like, mm-hmm. it's just a war zone for like maybe a good two, three hours. If not more than that, and yeah. uh yeah. and it
3: wasn't just that you would risk getting killed; they would, they could kill off NPCs, which you would then have to wait for a reset timer to actually like turn in your quests. So you had to hide out until like kind of there was like an ebb and flow of the battle, and then quickly try to run over during the respawn and turn in your quest. Otherwise, you were just stuck.
2: <laughs> yep, yep, and that still persists. Well, uh, up until the most recent patch, that still persisted because I was leveling up a character. Probably a month ago. And it's even worse because, of course, they had flying mounts. So they're these high-level players who are like, you know, three expansions past who can just sort of swoop down on towns, kill the NPCs, kill you, and then swoop away. And there's really no way to get away (laughs) because they can fly faster than you can move on a mount. So. So you were just kind of like, oh, that's it. Uh, I guess I'm switching to another character for like the next hour or so or something like that.
3: I mean, you mentioned mounts. That's another – if you were a vanilla WoW veteran, you remember how long it took you to level 40 before you earned your first mount in the game. Now it's like they give you
2: a mount just to play the game. Uh, not just uh, earning the ability to mount. You had to pay for it. And back then yes. the the gold cost of a mount – was prohibitively expensive it was difficult to get your first mount
0: did not you have to craft things
2: as well it was very time consuming uh depending on your class um i i was paladin so i think i had to I, I forget what the quest was for the first mount and having a flying mount was a big prestige thing uh well yeah for i mean the flying mount thing came
3: with ca- um not cataclysm with burning crusade and i, I remember yeah getting a flying mount with after so basically the, the introduction of flying mounts made regular mounts not as exclusive. Uh, and they were the big prestige thing. And yeah, I think you had to be level sixty to get one at that point. It was like the last the last zone of Burning Crusade is, I believe, where you got awarded your flying
2: mount. Yeah, but it, it was much easier than trying to get a mount in vanilla. It yeah, was just like true. you get there, you as long as you got the money to pay for it, you can pay for it. And at that time I was heavy in the auction house, so like flying wasn't as hard. Uh, yeah. and that sort of persisted through, uh, Wrath of the Lich King. They gave you cold weather flying at the, towards the end of the expansion, uh, leveling curve. And then since then, what they've decided is to do the, the, you have to do X amount of things, X amount of achievements. Uh, they call it the Pathfinder. And you need to do that in order to unlock flying. So actually what I'm doing is I I never unlocked Warlords of Draenor flying. So I've been playing now to unlock that for my alts, because it's it's an account-wide achievement.
0: Mm. You'll see old-school hardcore fans often saying that Burning Crusade is maybe the peak of World of Warcraft. But I think the mainstream is probably going to say that Wrath of the Lich King perhaps is where it... Really topped out where it was at its most balanced, and it's uh, and where it really kind of found that mixed that balance between kind of MMORPG like accessibility, mm-hmm. but also challenge. I know I remember a lot of people complaining because in Burning Crusade it had these extremely high level instances, and very few people, like one like two percent of the population or something, actually managed to beat Illidan. Yes, <laughs> uh, at the end of the game, and Blizzard was like screw that, we're going to make all of this content. You better frickin' be able to see it. And so they made it possible for everybody to take down Arthas, essentially. And all of the hardcore fans were rabble, rabble, rabble. But for the most part, a lot of people seem to just... When when you ask, what was the best of WoW? They said, well, Wrath of the Lich King was the best, and then
3: Cataclysm ruined it. What did you guys think? Mm. See, I I loved Cataclysm because it completely kind of hit the reset button and redefine the the worlds I'd just kind of gotten bored with or grown used to. But I, I would agree that uh, Wr- Wrath of the Lich King for me was, was sort of the highlight. Um, just even, you know, I remember when they announced it, I believe I was at that BlizzCon and they showed kind of the raid where you're like riding these things on the way to, to meet with him. And it was just like, it, everything was so huge and epic in scale. And I believe that was the expansion that really introduced more cinematic elements to the game. Because up until yeah, that point, the, it was- the Death Knight introduction was extremely cinematic. Yeah, like the... everything else- Everybody
0: it was... was like, wow, that's amazing. And then you finish it and you go, oh, it's like back to being back to vanilla. Wow, okay, time to level up my Death Knight. Yeah, That
2: was <laughs> yeah. the Wrathgate uh, cinematic- there, which was the big moment for a lot of people. In your imagination,
3: it was, I'm going to walk up to an NPC and read some quest text and then kind of make it up from there. But now they they finally were introducing cutscenes. But I think that also plays into over time. I mean, you mentioned the accessibility thing. That's, that's one of the things, Kat, that they've done a great job of is, is realizing, wow, okay, there are the hardcores that are going to see this content. How can we let everyone see it? So even like solo people who are never going to raid that won't even do the easy raids, they will show you, like, the Lich King in, in a cutscene to be like, okay, you've seen him. As long as you're playing and, and going through the quest, you're going to sort of see most of what the game has to offer. They will, like, take you through, like, previous raid zones as part of quest lines after certain expansions. So, uh, in many ways, stuff that Destiny also kind of copied and does as well.
2: Yeah, I'd, I'd say for me, uh, I was hardest in Burning Crusade and Wrath of the Lich King. But I personally believe that the game gets better with time. As they add more accessible features, flex raiding, uh, looking for raid, uh, scenarios, Mythic Plus dungeons, uh, more content like that, I I find the game gets better. I was one of the few people when they announced World of Warcraft Classic, I just sort of, like, I remember Vanilla. And Vanilla was was fun for what it was at the time, but I have no desire to go back to that experience.
3: No.
2: So, well, we're at the point where it's nostalgic now. It's old school.
0: Only yeah. the hardcore play vanilla, yeah. which is funny because I remember when vanilla came out, all of
2: the hardcore MMO fans being like, "This is for babies." Like I don't, <laughs> I, I don't like 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 I I remember having to go in front of a, a five man dungeon and go to a meeting stone just to summon people. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. having to to say like in the chat like, "Hey, does anyone want to run?" This instead of just being able to queue up for a dungeon, I remember trying to run Karazhan each week on a PvP server. So Karazhan was one of the dungeons, and on a PvP server, basically that that area in front of the dungeon portal became a war zone. Like of if you if <laughs> you would get there and there was an opposite faction group about to run it, you couldn't go in until you either fought them off. Or they went in on their own,
3: and yeah. well, because they did a brilliant thing with the with the Horde versus Alliance, you couldn't talk to each other. Uh, if someone talked to you in in like kind of general chat, it would or it would have a cloud above their head. It would just look like a series of random characters. So, so like you literally can't talk to the other factions back. I, can you now? I don't know. No, back you, you could-
2: can't. Even the new community feature that they just introduced uh, is not cross faction. So. They're still holding on to that hard, like, hey, you can't deal with the other faction for the most part.
3: I think the faction thing has kind of gone in and out all about factions. It's kind of relaunching that rivalry, if you will, right?
2: Uh, yes. Battle for Azeroth uh, is refocusing on the Horde versus Alliance faction. Uh, it does look like we will, in the later part of the expansion, deal with another common evil in the form of the old gods. But for for the first, probably uh part of this expansion it looks like it's back to horde and alliance back to that war going on and in fact both uh the content for battle for azeroth is split between them so the horde has one continent uh one island and the alliance has another and all their questing is done on those specific islands hmm. so
0: we're out of villains we <laughs> killed them all we killed deathwing We killed Artis. We beat Illidan, kind of. He was in the last one. Did we finally finish him off
2: in Legion? Um, So Illidan actually turned good. uh, He's good again. Over over there, Illidan is gone. He he sacrificed himself to be the warden of the burning Legion leaders. Like, basically, you finish the raid and Illidan's like, yeah, uh, good job. Uh, I'm going to go in there with them. Uh, I don't really have much to do out here other than fight demons, so I'm just going to stay there and make sure they don't get out.
3: Yeah, I mean, if you know any any of the lore, I don't want to get too in the weeds, but if memory serves me, because I did read a lot of the novels at one point, like, the basic lore is Sargeras, who is, like, the head head of the Oh, burning... boy, here we go. It's Sargeras. <laughs> Sargeras, hello. Okay, sorry, yes, he was the head of... Well, when you read these things you never know exactly but um, i know he was the head of the of the burning legion of these demons but basically he was sort of like this protector titan god back in the day that just got really fed up with existence and there was so much bad that he just got it twisted in his head that i need to completely wipe out all of existence and so that was he his got little... real emo yeah <laughs> yeah, he was the ultimate edgelord basically uh and so a lot of a lot of this stuff that's it basically has happened in, over the course of the games has been him coming back or or him him corrupting Mediv. Did I get that one right,
2: Cat? <laughs> you, did. you did. Good job. You did. Good job. Um,
3: but yeah, so a lot. You're right, though, Cat. A lot of the enemies are dead, but they always find a way to bring them back because they're like, well, technically he's a god, so he can come back sort of whenever.
2: Yeah. So so the last, the end of Legion, quote unquote, ends with Sargeras throwing his sword into Azeroth itself, and it's actually in Silithus now. You can go there. There is literally a giant, like, super tall sword in the ground. It's a physical thing. You can fly around it. So that is sort of the impetus for the beginning of this next expansion. Sargeras threw his sword, then got sucked into his jail. Illidan stayed with him. And now where the sword hit Azeroth itself is bleeding, and that's the beginning of the next, next thing. Uh, And it looks like our, like like I said, our our next big bad, quote unquote, will be the old gods, which are the last sort of existing thing that came from previous lore.
3: One moment, I'm just registering the URL. Azeroth is bleeding from my cool emo band name. One (laughs) second, just gonna get that one. All right, I got it the world of
0: warcraft has changed just ridiculously since it first came out 14 years ago essentially we've had multiple sequels in one they've gave they've given it a a facelift they fundamentally changed the mechanics and everybody has kind of that moment where they came out they got out but also a lot of people have stayed in over the years and i mean it's changed from doing like playing through the content and then getting to this epic done this epic raid end game raid where you're playing with these 40 person raids to putting a much greater emphasis i want to say on repeatable content uh being able to do pretty much everything uh it's almost like diablo these days in, in a lot of respects it's closer than ever to diablo i, w- I want to say
3: yeah, just to commend blizzard even more uh if you just consider how much gaming tastes have changed in the past 15 years and, and kind of typical game design and things like difficulty and, and trends, uh, WoW has managed to keep up with all of that the entire time. And that is no small feat.
0: Yeah. No. Meanwhile, it's been getting more and more ridiculous. It has an Indiana Jones character. Yes. Uh, Harrison, Harrison Jones. Harrison Jones uh it it got silly it got silly i'm not gonna lie it
3: always sort of was silly it always sort of was silly but that's that's always part of blizzard's charm is is they're never afraid to be self referential and to have you know humor and memes and things in the game even since the earliest days uh, of world of warcraft
2: yeah they have uh and you were talking about the the raids of shrunk cat that i mean that's one of the, the like accessible things i i don't have a raiding guild anymore but they added looking for raid and the flex rating system. So I can just queue up uh, for the current raids and and enjoy them. Like I, I was able, they, they they do it so that uh, it's like a, a, a tier back. So current hardcore raiders can raid the latest thing, but when the next raid comes out, that raid goes into looking for raid, so everyone else can enjoy it and that's sort of the the spot that they found to keep hardcore raiders happy but also let everyone else enjoy it. So, uh it's it's a good system cuz I don't feel the need to be like on the bleeding edge of progression, but I would still like to see things so I've been able to, you know, enjoy the night hold and Antorus. I was finally able to start enjoying that with the the, the stuff that's coming up now. So, uh accessible it's nice.
0: So as usual, we do our favorite moments of uh, a particular RPG, uh, the best moments, and usually we focus in on the story. But when we were going through the the putting together the notes for this segment, uh, Matt Matthew was going. He was picking a lot of moments that were from outside of the game. I mean, one of the first ones he put on there was the corrupted blood plague incident of 2005. Do you yes. want to
3: remember that with us? Yeah, so I mean that's technically sort of inside the game but it was an unintentional inside the game and so I mean what- it's a top 5 moment in gaming history period, yeah, right? Yeah, it is it is basically was a it was a pandemic uh, throughout World of Warcraft where um it was a debuff that was supposed to be part of of the raid, the Zulgarub, or if I'm saying that right raid, um that somehow due to a bug in the game um it enabled that debuff to go outside of that raid and the way that debuff worked is it spread to other players near you so within like probably a matter of hours if days but maybe not hours or minutes um almost everyone on the certain servers was corrupted with this corrupted blood plague uh and it it, it would slowly tick down your health and i recall like hearing about this and just being like hey
2: don't go play wow now because you will get this thing (laughs) you'll get this bug like it and, and no, once once that happened, and on the first server it happened on, people were doing it on purpose. So, for, <laughs> so for that like time, and that's another one of those things where when you're in it, it is horrible because you couldn't play because you would just get hit by the plague if you were in in town. Oh, you know, outside of that, when you're looking at it, it's like, oh wow, this is like fascinating that the way how this works out.
3: Yeah, well, it it was so big that. I think Blizzard kind of realized, like, wow, this, this got a lot of coverage. It later inspired an, an intentional zombie event in 2008 that was used to promote, uh, I believe that was the Lich King expansion.
2: It was basically like, yeah, they're
3: coming back. Or it might have been, no, that wasn't to promote Burning Crusade, was it?
2: Uh, no, that was Lich King. That was Lich King. And it was, uh it, same deal, but it would turn you into uh one of the little ghoul things. Yeah. yeah. That you could hit other people with.
0: You also put Leroy Jenkins on this list. And then I discovered Leroy Jenkins. It was fake. It was all set up. Yeah, it wasn't real.
3: It's true, but it's still... And by the way, it's, it's not, not real. Leroy, we can't call it Leroy Jenkins. It's Leroy
2: Jenkins. Please. That was actually pretty wow, good. Wow, that was accurate. Wow.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I actually met Leroy Jenkins, by the way, at the debut of the World of Warcraft movie. He he was hanging out with us. He was a guest of honor for Blizzard.
3: <laughs> wow. I can't believe you went to that debut. That's actually pretty cool. He
0: yeah, was a very nice guy. Uh, he, that's his claim to fame. He hasn't made a dime from it, but he still enjoys the it. The reason
3: I put it on here, though, is this was, even if you weren't playing World of Warcraft, everyone, I would say everyone who played video games kind of knew about this meme or this video. Uh, and even, it probably went outside of gamer circles. Like, it it was a big deal and and what it was i should i should kind of get context is basically it was supposed to be this video showing guys that sort of like in-game content and they were planning and plotting okay here's how we're going to take down the boss and this guy just shouts leroy jenkins and runs in and and pulls aggro on every mob in the room and then the whole video is just everyone getting a, a total party wipe just like scrambling cussing like ah
2: yeah so so the, the background there is that this is progression rating and And a lot of progression raiding is planning and execution. So a lot of times, and especially back in the day when this happened, like before you would start any encounter, you would have to have like, like I was a paladin, so I had to buff a whole bunch of the raid. You had to do your buffs. You had to get your health stones from the warlock. You had to get your water from your uh, your mages. And, uh, you know, it was a lot of prep just to try any encounter. And the point with the Leroy Jenkins is they were still prepping and he wasn't paying attention and he just (laughs) runs in, thus wiping the entire raid, which (laughs) if you were a raider at the time was just like, oh, no, like it's like tiny heart attack in your in your soul. (laughs) But yes, it. It it was hilarious at the same time. It was like one of those, like, man, I wouldn't want to be those guys, but that is amazing.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. And to find out it was fake, yes, it was a little bit of a bummer, but then I just have to commend them. I'm like, well, you guys did a good job faking it because that was great.
0: And, of course, we already mentioned Make Love Not Warf- Warcraft, which came out in 2006. I thought it was actually a lot later than that. So Warcraft was only two years old at that point, yeah. which they actually did essentially machinima. They had... The characters inside it. I think they were doing a server, and the story went something to the effect of somebody did actually manage to come in and start killing them, oh, <laughs> which was uh, which is pretty which was pretty incredible. But I, I think just the image of being har- harassed and targeted by this guy who would somehow hacked into the game and created a, a cheated and created a super character. Yeah. And They're like this guy's like an evil super genius, and just cutting to the dude wearing the 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 tetanus uh, cast kind of clicking around, not saying anything. And when they
3: finally take him out, and he's just staring. He's just staring at the screen like, what? What? And then did you see the, the BlizzCon where they they had a guy, a lookalike up on stage that was playing that character? I did not see that, but that's pretty amazing.
0: Looking at it it's in its to- totality, I think the thing that stands out to me is for the people who really loved, who have played World of Warcraft over the years. So uh, when I told Ryan... I was like, oh yeah, I'm putting World of Warcraft on the list. His eyes widened, and he said, "F that game." But at the same time, he's like, "But I also understand why you're putting on that list." And I think that everybody, a, a lot of people who played World of Warcraft over the years, will would say that they it's it's, it, but it's not from a place of hatred. It's a a place of this game completely took over my life for a number of years. It, it was a huge part of my life, and I have so many friends now who were playing for more than a decade. Who still get together with their old guild people? Who still pop in from time to time? Who we didn't even talk about the way that people feel connected to their classes. Like being a class is almost like an identity. Mike was like, "I am a tank, right? You're a paladin, right, Mike?" Yes,
2: I I, I have played paladin has been my main since Burning Crusade. I think I started in Vanilla with a hunter, but since then. My main class has always been a Paladin, uh, Blood Elf Paladin. I was so, going to ask
3: you, is that because of the Horde Paladin? Like, that was a huge controversy at the time that the Horde was getting the Paladin class.
2: Uh, it was, it was my, my favorite moment because I liked the Night Elves, but I wasn't a big fan of the Alliance at the time, I thought they were kind of boring. So when they gave the blood elves to the horde and I could be a paladin, I was like, let's go. And I've been a paladin sort of ever since. And, you know, I've dabbled in other classes, but like Kat says, like there's a definite part of me that notices when they change paladins, paladins, what I care about, you know, I'll go on Reddit and, in the forums and be like what's what changes are coming to paladins uh you know in the latest expansion or the latest patch usually nothing because we're we're pretty like we're we're not high or, or low on the list right now so we're just sort of there like oh uh not not even a lot of changes for battle of azeroth what was your
3: class matthew i gotta know So when I started, I tried a Druid, a Night Elf Druid, because it was a versatile class that could change, you know, you could be a tank one moment, you could be a healer the next, they were never, they were kind of a jack-of-all-trades master of none, Um, but when I was really into it, I was a DPS Fire Mage, like that was, because I like soloing, and basically... Even though, you know, survivability isn't that high when you're a mage because you're a clothy and you get hit a couple times and you're dead, uh, you could kite and you could just deal so much damage that you could burn dudes down before they reached you. And I liked playing that role. I didn't it was sort of I don't know it's sort of easy mode (laughs) you know when you're in dungeons and stuff it's like okay you just do damage like I didn't have to worry about the tank roll all I really had to worry about was managing aggro and not doing too much damage at one time and then kind of so I'd lay off and then do more damage so uh, yeah I had a really fun time with that one I I like to try a little bit everything though so you know I roll different alts and I play around but that was when I what I spent the most time with was that mage.
0: And it truly was kind of a World of Warcraft. I mean, no, it wasn't EVE Online or whatever. A lot, a lot of people love to contrast EVE Online with, say, World of Warcraft. This very tight, curated experience, like an amusement park versus the total sandbox of EVE Online. But it was a world in the sense that you could do so many things. You could you could enjoy the game in so many different ways. You didn't have to be raiding. You could go do PvP there was somebody who leveled up to max levels somehow non-violently. Yeah, and they, I guess they just, they just went and they just went and collected things.
3: It was um, during the Mists of Pandaria expansion. So in the the Pandarian race, you basically had you got to choose your faction, is I believe what happened uh, after you went through the starter zone. But because you could get experience gathering herbs and other materials, they just kept doing that and taking a pleasant tour of their starter zone, which is like this beautiful zone with waterfalls and stuff, and just never made the choice. And they just but they're so they're literally they're kind of imprisoned on that starter zone. They can't leave because they would have to choose a side at that point. Yes. The World of Warcraft,
0: one of I mean a lot of MMORPG fans might rebel, but I think it's the best MMORPG of all time. And I, I I think it's just it's stayed relevant in a way that a lot of MMORPGs simply haven't, uh, with the mainstream. It is the it is the MMORPG. And I I just gotta feel like it's gotta go on this list. So there it goes. You got find any final thoughts, Mike?
2: Uh no, I, I, I would agree. Like I, I I jump between two MMORPGs. It's uh my my fifteen dollars a month is my a sort of my MMO utility feed that I don't think about. And it jumps between World of Warcraft and Final Fantasy XIV. But I still really love World of Warcraft. I still pop in and play it on a regular basis. So it's, it's, I, I it, it is definitely amazing at how much the game has evolved and stayed accessible while also, you know, offering something for pretty much everybody. So I, I, like hats off to blizzard i i continue to enjoy the game and and even in the expansions that sort of dip out for me a little bit like i i sort of fell off in mist of pandaria although in in hindsight and in re-leveling mr pandaria is really good but even in the times that i dip out i still enjoy the game a great deal so it's great All right,
0: make sure to check out the continuing list of the last few episodes. We've done Final Fantasy V, NetHack, uh, Tactics Ogre, uh, and Vampire the Masquerade, and now World of Warcraft. And we're going to continue on every week until we finish this dang list. It's going to happen someday. All right, Matthew, thanks for coming on the show. We're going to have you back again at a certain point. Uh, Quick, plug some stuff.
3: Sure. Uh well yeah, if you enjoyed listening to me on this, uh you might want to check out Video Apocalypse at com, and that's spelled V I D J A. Uh and I'm there with Michael Raparez and Chris Antista and every week we we get a guest and we talk about a topic and we break down a top 5 in that topic. So um I don't know when when this will be airing, but like for example, the one with, that's just about uh, that just aired this day, we talked about uh, the top side characters from video games that eventually stole the spotlight and got their own games. So people like Zero from Mega Man. Um, so yeah, if you check us out, at, we can also be reached on Twitter at uh, VGApocalypse, or um, if you like what you hear, go to patreoncom lasertime. Thank you so much for being
0: on the show, and let's continue on to the mailbag. All right, I'm back, and uh, the, the last week's episode got people feeling a little testy, Nadia. <laughs> well, we're pretty good at riling people up sometimes. Uh, so, Molarama, uh, th- this is just a a taste of the kind of the comments we were getting last week. So, Cat, if you're going to go all devil's advocate on the merits of a game, then it would help if you've played as much of it as the people you're debating. I mean, I guess one could find the sprites not immediately aesthetically pleasing or whatever, but it still feels slightly weird when you're getting into arguments over its graphics, writing, and technology with people who've played more than 40 hours to your three? If you don't want to pick up the (laughs) full game, fine. That's going to limit your ability to participate in a discussion about the full game. All right. Fair enough, I suppose.
1: yeah, I think you got taken to school a little bit there, Kat. Yeah,
0: Yeah, no, so it goes, but uh, I did actually end up buying Octopath Traveler. I did spend oh, my real human money on it. I guess uh, people s- took me as being hostile toward Octopath Traveler. I think it was ki- I was kind of trying to be like, oh, convince me to buy this game, because right, these right. are my impressions after playing it for a little bit, and... I guess what I should have been doing is full-throated enthusiasm. I apologize.
1: <laughs> Best game of the year. Yeah. Uh, people, like, it.
0: look, uh, know your audience. Like, people really love this game. It really obviously kind of speaks to them.
1: Yeah, they it does have some detractors, though. Uh, mm-hmm.
0: I, I think, mean, you uh, gave it a four out of five. And that's basically zero.
1: Oh, that's a, that's a zero. That is, you know, you all deserve to go home and live in poverty and, you know, your families all deserve to starve. Yeah, the reactions,
0: the reactions seem a little mixed, actually, uh, in some respects. In
1: some respects. Um, and that's just something I addressed in my review as well. Uh, if you do not like the storytelling, the way the story is told, there's not much I can really recommend for you. Uh, if you say, oh, you know, I've, if you say, oh, the stories are shallow... I think Schreier said that over at Kotaku, and I really, really disagree with him there. I don't think they're shallow. I think they're perfectly fine, um, but there are definitely some parts that are objective, and I can't really put a score on that. And uh, some parts that are subjective, and uh, but for, as a RPG, as a, a whole, solid RPG experience, I think it's a really well put together game.
0: Uh, uh so last week i was talking a lot about it's like i wasn't a big fan of the sprites and right even after buying the game and playing it on my tv actually i kind of stand by that and actually i got some people i'm going to cherry pick and choose the comments that agree with me on twitter <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, alistair b says for me it's the incongruity of the overblown depth of field effects with sprite scaling artifacts it just looks odd which uh i think i think that is one thing but I think I also said in the last episode that it's a striking look for the most part. I don't dislike the art. It's just mm-hmm. the static sprites that has relatively little animation. Uh, I wasn't a huge fan of it, to be perfectly honest. But uh, clearly, at least in the comments, a lot of people disagreed with me. But uh, so, but maybe I'll maybe I'll like it better. I will say this, Nadia. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I, like I said, I was playing on my TV. And after I bought it, and I tweeted out that, man, a soundtrack in that game is real good.
1: <laughs> it's, it's very, very nice. Definitely worth listening to through headphones.
0: Super chill. And it's definitely the kind of game that it's like, oh, maybe I do want to play this on my TV. Okay, I wouldn't have necessarily said this. It feels like the kind of game I'd be playing on handheld. But unless I want to break out my headphones, I feel like I'm missing a crucial aspect. I feel like I have to listen to the soundtrack now.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a. I actually think uh, for last week, our starting screen for my uh, segment where I do uh, uh, kind of look at a piece of game music every week, I chose Elfin's theme for this week because it's just a really nice, calming piece. That's the way to describe a lot of the the, the, the music. It's just very it's calming, except when you're in
0: battle, then it's just like, oh, man, I got to win or I'm going to die. So last week's uh, Top 25 segment was Vampire the Masquerade, and I, I think these two comments kind of speak to how the audience uh, feels one way or the other. On the one hand, we have Ardia Abe who says, I am loving your 25 list. After hearing about Vampire the Masquerade, I really wanted to get a copy of the game. I would absolutely adore to play as a Tremere. Even more than that, I would love to get a copy of the Vampire tabletop game and flip through that bad boy. I was one of those guys dressed up in LARPing vampire politics at the Student Union. Sounds like we would be best friends. I wore a suit because I didn't want to break the masquerade, so no trench coat and katana. I like you. Oh, my
1: God. That's amazing.
0: But then Arvis Yagamara says, 20 comments on this episode up to this point. Only two mentions of vampire. That says it all, really.
1: (laughs) Well, we did talk very uh, heatedly about Octopath Traveler, which is a very new, very looked forward to RPG. So I can understand why people
0: were just like running to their keyboard for that first and foremost uh nuclear vomit said i didn't play the game uh referring to octopath traveler but from the screenshots i've seen i get a golden sun pixel vibe which is uh,
1: uh, uh well maybe play no. the game yeah i think uh, it definitely looks better in motion golden sun i appreciate it for what it was it was like you know such a premier gba rpg but uh god it is not pretty
0: Index says, As someone who primarily plays in console mode, I have to wonder if some of the details, particularly the small movements of the monsters and party members, when they are not acting in battle are more difficult to discern in handheld mode. The small movements make them far less static than Final Fantasy VI's sprites. Additionally, Octopath's monster sprite detail is easily the equal or better of FF6. And that really comes out in later boss encounters and in the iterative version of the monsters that are sim- not simply recolors, as Derek t- tries to gently point out. <laughs>
1: I love Derek, yeah, and he's absolutely right too. Um, I was actually fighting the other day versus uh, I don't know it was like a bunch of lizards, and I just really appreciated how much uh, how much difference there was between the sprites. Like you know, one species had a headdress, the other species was had like a mace instead of a sword, and uh, then like the lizard king for some reason was wearing like some sort of gimp mask. I don't know what the hell was going on there, but at least <laughs> there was effort made. So I appreciate that very much. I
0: didn't say there was no effort. I just they. Yeah, I don't know. I thought that a lot of the detail was lost in looking at the actual sprites, which to me look very pixelated and uh, indistinct, I want to say. And that includes when I'm playing on console mode. I, I stand by that assessment. Oh, when you're fighting the huge bosses, they put mm-hmm. a lot of effort into the bosses. The bosses right. actually look pretty solid for the most part, even if they're still relatively static. I stand by that assessment as well. But... The the monsters themselves are fairly fuzzy and indistinct, and I don't know. Maybe I'm going blind in my old age. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that would be a hell of a way to find out. Wouldn't and to, it be? And to oh. be honest,
0: like I don't know why He's I'm great. getting stuck on this because I don't. I think it's a relatively minor point. Ultimately, like I want it was an observation that I wanted to make uh, about how the character sprites look versus the environments, which I think look mm-hmm. phenomenal. I think the environments yeah. look really good, and people are right to point out that octopath travelers um octopath traveler does not have that kind of generic pixel sprite look uh generic right. retro retro look that we've come to expect from a lot of different games so yeah in that respect like i think it looks really good for the most part so
1: <laughs> yeah and uh, did you see digital foundry's breakdown of how the graphics work It's pretty interesting
0: it does sound pretty interesting yeah, you should look. I actually wrote about it over the week, so uh, look that up. So, and Nilcom says, I often tell friends that Chrono Trigger is the end of the RPG genre for me. Oh, I'm so sorry. You've missed out on so many great games. <laughs> That's uh, at least quit after PlayStation 1 or 2. It's the last truly great traditional RPG, in my opinion. No other traditional RPG has even come close to it. That said, Octopath has really grabbed my interest. Well, there we go. All right. There the we are. smaller stories are super interesting, and the battle system is one of the best ever. It's my go-to game when I'm ready to chill. Uh, and chaotic bee says, "I appreciate all the Octopath Traveler coverage on this site. I usually listen to these when I'm interested in the game being discussed, but I am just enjoying Octopath so much that I wanted to try to limit the information that I take in about as far as story ar- as story spoilers go. I really love it, and it's me in a w- hit me in a way that I can appreciate it so well. RPGs are so hit and miss for me when it actually comes to playing them and feeling really engaged." Persona 5 just bounced off me, for instance, after I really dug P3. I think it's fantastic that Square Enix is investing more resources into the Switch. RPGs like Octopath Traveler and indie games such as Rogues Likes are such a sweet spot for the system and gamers of my age, I think. I I think it really helps that it's July and nobody else has anything to talk about. (laughs)
1: I think that probably helps too. Although um, it's selling very well, especially in Japan, I think it already moved like something like four hundred
0: thousand. Yeah, and the 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 actual hardcover boxes that people are apparently buying are actually fairly hard to find at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Katie said her partner couldn't uh, had to drive like to Helen back to find to find
0: one at Walmart or something. I'm with Mike though. I don't buy hardcover games anymore. I only download them.
1: Yeah, uh, I have to admit, I'm very, I'm very much the same way. Uh, if I have a hard, if I have an actual disc or an actual cartridge, just because my husband went out because he's more of a, he's more of a collector in that regard.
0: You guys what you, you won publishers. I'm not buying the used games anymore. I'm not doing the the sellbacks. <laughs> I never did in the first place. I'm too lazy. It's like you, you
1: schlep all the way down there. I can give you five bucks for this big ass pile of games. Ah, oh, screw you. I'll keep them. i let a c- molder.
0: that will yeah, show you. It's completely worthless and. And they inevitably just sit on my shelf, taking up space, until mm-hmm. finally I decide to get rid of a whole bunch of them. And then when I try to sell them, I get maybe 10 bucks. and the effort <laughs> required to actually put them on eBay, uh, it's annoying. But if you're like really into the game and you want the super special premium awesome edition, that can be a really nice collector's item if you're really into the game
1: yeah yeah they're actually doing that a lot with uh, with games these days they're giving you the incentive to go out and buy the, the actual game itself like we have Yakuza 6 we had like the full thing that came with the shot glasses and everything
0: alright that's all for the mailbag this week we'll be back next week and for now Axe of the Blood God is a US Gamer podcast you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot Nadia at Oxf- Nadia Oxford please continue to yell at me on Twitter about my opinions on Octopath Traveler <laughs> Please do, no yes. rest. I engine. no rest for the wicked. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate and review the podcast over on iTunes and all of those other places. We really enjoy reading the nice comments; it keeps us going week after week after week. Uh, mm. If you have, as I mentioned, in the last segment, keep an eye out on our top twenty-five RPG countdown, which continues this week. It was World of Warcraft, and who knows what'll be next week? But we're rolling right along, and we got some really good ones. And we got some really good guests coming up oh. okay mm-hmm. so, pretty soon it'll be August we're going to have a lot more games to talk about and we'll have more RPGs to talk about but until then for Nani and myself, I've been Cat Bailey and until next time happy adventuring <laughs>